But without inerrancy, we're going to talk about the inerrancy of the Bible. The Bible cannot be infallible. Can I go through some logic with you about inerrancy? Now, when we talk about inerrancy, we're not talking about spelling. We're not talking about sometimes numbers. If there is a pound, or there was a pound in Washington, called the, it's an official measurement of a pound. And then that's duplicated throughout America. What, what, what is a pound? How much does a pound weigh? Well, there's a pound that's a standard in Washington and other things that are made standard. Let's just say you lost that pound. Would you still be able to reconstruct what a pound was by all the other pounds that were out there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Easy. And if you get a false pound or a pound that's too much or too little, you can also identify it by the vast majority of correct ones. Okay. So there were many, the, the New Testament was written by uh, the people that wrote, the eight writers of the New Testament, were wrote by the inspiration of God, that God breathed upon them, moved upon them, and they wrote as he spoke or he spoke to them. And he, the most amazing thing about inspiration is he uses their vocabulary. He uses their, their syntax, their English ability or inability, not English. Greek, inability. Example it would be uh, in, in John, John the Apostle, the youngest of the apostles. He wrote very simplistic language, real simple, almost childlike, sentences in the book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. Peter, Peter hacked Greek. I mean, he just hacked it. He just made words up that nowhere, they're not found anywhere else in, in any of the minus manuscripts we have in Greek. He just like made the words up. And you can do that in Greek, because Greek's made up of a, of a source word and a preface and suffix, and they make their own, you can make your own word up. That's why doctors like it, because you can describe something with it more in very much detail. Latin and Greek are very good. The German, Latin, Greek. So they, they, um, Peter's book is grammatically and word-wise, you can tell he was a fisherman. Now the book of Hebrews. Whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't know the author of Hebrews. It's been, it's been uh, implied or been suggested that maybe Apollos, which was mighty in the scriptures, he possibly wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, that some people say maybe Barnabas wrote the book of Hebrews, and then of course the majority say Paul the apostle wrote it, but he didn't. He, that wasn't his way. Paul always signed his letters. All the apostles, but he could have maybe not signed that one. God had him not do it or whatever. But whoever wrote it, it was God's man. But whoever wrote the book of Hebrew was a master in, in language. I mean, he had paragraphs that were almost a page long. And if you know much about language, it's not easy to do that. And his, his vocabulary, his mastery of the Greek is obvious. So God in inspiration doesn't bypass the vessel. That he uses. He uses it just like you. You go witnessing and you present Jesus. 
I beseech, I beseech you as though, I, I says, I'm ambassador for Christ, as though God did beseech you by me, be reconciled to God. When I go to a house and I represent the Lord Jesus Christ and knock on the door, I am, at that moment, a representation of God to them. Now, am I perfect? No, I'm very, very imperfect, right? It, God uses these earthen vessels to represent himself, and he doesn't always choose the best, so-called best of the earthen vessels, does he? He chooses sometimes the least of the earthen vessels. You can tell that by the apostles, who he chose to be an apostle. And so, because, it, and it said that the power may not be of man, but of God. God likes to use weak vessels, and, and if they'll submit to him, he'll work through them and cause great things to happen that he does. And so, consequently, he gets the glory, which he should. And so, the writers of the New Testament were <clears throat> just people, like, like as we are. They, have, they had, but God, they were submitted to God, chosen of God, no question, inspired of God, God breathed upon them and gave them the word. The Holy Ghost of God indeed gave them the words to write. That was what they called the original manuscripts. Do we have any of the original manuscripts? No, we do not have any, none of the original manuscripts that were written. I'm sure they survived for a while. But the materials they used were paper, papyrus, and wood. They wrote on things, and they did not last. In fact, in fact, you can tell a manuscript was, was well done and accurate because it was well used. It was well used and worn out and copied and copied and copied and copied and copied. Now, in that copying, there came human misspellings and some numerical troubles that came in, but it in no way tainted the subject matter or the doctrine, the historicity or the scientific accuracy of those documents. They were just minor. It's been put like this, evidence of the man's a verdict. Josh McDowell, you'll find this page 43 through 46. Out of a thousand words in the New Testament, they find there's over 13,000 copies or portions or portions of the New Testament going back through the centuries from about 150 up. 150 years, 150 AD is the, is the oldest one we have. And so you can go from there up all the way. And what you find is out of 1,000 words, 999 words are exactly accurate. And there's, one, there's, there, there's that one out of 1,000 that they have to go back and look at the enough manuscripts to see, okay, that was a that was an error and that needs to be corrected, and that's what the received text was all about. The received text was a accumulation all the way back as far as they could get them, as in the, in the, up through up through about 150 or maybe 200 A.D., all the way up to 1611 when they used all the things that they, all the manuscripts they had and they compared them diligently to each other like that pound I was talking about. And they define the Bible. Every 1,000 words, 999 are exactly as the original manuscript. So when we speak about inerrancy, we're not speaking about 
typographical error. We're not speaking about that. We're speaking about doctrine, historicity, and scientific accuracy. We're talking about the subject matter of the Bible has been preserved by God. Okay? As we enter into the subject tonight. So, general statement. To, to, this is a quote, by the way, from Archer. To all professing Christians, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is final and supreme. Do you believe that? The fact that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. makes you somewhat loyal to the fact of what he said about himself and what others said about him. I believe Jesus Christ has to be who he said he was or he couldn't save me. And here's another quote from Archer, page 20. If in, if in any of his views, that is Jesus Christ, or teachings, as set forth in the New Testament, he was guilty of error or mistake, he cannot be the divine Savior. And all Christianity is a delusion and a hoax. That's how important inerrancy is in the Bible. Now, we have a book there by Ryrie in our library called Basic Doctrines, I believe it's called, Basic Doctrines. And it also has about a 40-page section on inerrancy. He does an excellent, tremendous job. This guy does a little deeper a little deeper, a little more specificity, I suppose, in Archer here than anybody I've read, even more than Ryrie. So the New Testament view of Jesus. Jesus is presented without question or wiggle room as deity in the New Testament. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to take the time tonight to go to all the places. And the, the deity of Christ is a, is a big subject in the Bible. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. They took up stones to stone him because he made himself God, Son of God. The word Son of God is the word, is the word for deity. They took, it that, they took it that way for sure when he's called himself the Son of God. When you, are you the Son of God? And he said, yeah, you're going to see me come. And they tore their sin blasphemy and said he was worthy of death at the trial of Christ. And so it was really all, the reason they crucified Jesus was who he said he was. Why would they crucify somebody that was healing people, that was that was feeding people, that was that was casting demons out? Nobody would crucify in their right mind somebody that was going about doing good. Well, that's what he was doing. They crucified him for who he was, for who he was, because he was eventually came down to the fact that who do you who are you? Who's your father? Who are you? And so, really, there. Among evangelical Christianity, there's not even any wiggle room or disagreement that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Both indirectly and directly, statements are made of his deity in the Bible. This is an example. These are just tip of the iceberg things for Timothy 3.16. Oh, I'm looking back here again, preacher. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up to glory. Can you believe me? I was still looking over in this. It's a terrible habit. It's like smoking. But, oh, I'm going back to look at there again. I need a set of blinders here. Due to his deity, his statement about the Old Testament scriptures are vital and binding. 
If Jesus is who he said he was, and by the way, it's important he is who he said he was or he can't save me. He can't save me. He is what he said he was. I believe with all my heart he is who he said he was and can do what he said he could do. All right? And so his statements that he makes in the New Testament about the Old Testament tells me a whole lot about the inerrancy of Scripture and the reliability of Scripture, the historicity of Scripture, the scientific accuracy of Scripture, which are all attacked. You go around some liberals, they don't believe anything. They hardly believe they don't believe in the supernatural events of the Old Testament. They don't believe uh, just a little bit of maybe a portion of the Pentateuch was really written by Moses. I think it was somebody else. I mean, you know, they just they just make this stuff up. I don't know where they come. They got a high imagination. But but it's uh it's there. Jesus Jesus showed absolute trust in the accuracy of the Old Testament. He himself in all areas of history and science. Thus, we can follow his lead and plant our confidence on the accuracy of the Old Testament and all Scripture. You can. You really can. You say, I've never known anything passed down from century to century and kept its accuracy. No, you haven't, except the Bible. The basic proposition there is God cannot mistake, be mistaken or in error. Do you believe that? If it's truly God, he can't be, he can't be in error. Christ is God and cannot be mistaken or in error because he was God manifest in the flesh. This is the foundation of all Christian doctrine and faith. That is why you find the Mormons attacking this doctrine. You'll find the Jehovah Witnesses attacking this doctrine. You'll find the Seventh-day Adventists attacking this doctrine. You'll, it's about, the argument really is about who Jesus is. If you can pull him down from who he said he was, then I don't believe you have anything to worship and have any, any really anyone to follow because he can't do what he said he could do. Christ accepted all of the Old Testament in its most controversial statements of history and science. I'm going to give you some examples quickly. These are just tip of the iceberg examples, six of them. The historicity of Adam. Let's just go back. You know. We've been having Nick do, did Nick do that tonight? Did we skip him? What do you mean me skipped him? I left. It was him. We skipped Nick. He was all ready to go and do, he had a good one to do tonight too. What is happening, people? You should have rose up and demanded he do that. That was going along with my lesson tonight. Too late. <laughs> How many here would like to get out early and say amen? No, don't do it. Do it. Well, I can tell you this. He had a great example against evolution. Why are we having him and Troy read one of them? We've had other people read them. Why do we have why do we do that? Because if you don't accept Genesis, forget the rest of it. Just absolutely forget the rest of it. There's no point in the rest of it. If the first eleven chapters of Genesis are out just simply stories, 
not based really on accuracy other than just general generalized accuracy. They're just stories like nighttime story, bedtime stories. Then how in the world can you trust the rest of the Bible, especially when you when you have Jesus asserting to the historicity, the actual event of what happened there in Genesis? He said in Matthew 19, 4, he says, and he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that which were made, that which, by the way, that he which made them. So, and this is just one verse out of so many. God created the heavens and the earth. Everywhere in the Bible, every major prophet, minor prophet that talks about it, they all refer, David spoke a lot about it. Psalm speaks a lot about he created. We cannot allow the pressure of heathenism uh, change your mind on the Bible. Don't don't you let it happen. One of our one of our people here years ago uh, was on, on, he was a young man about 22, 23 years old, zealous for God, and he went up to uh, University of Florida, I think it was. Which is the one in Tallahassee? Is that the state university? Okay, that's where we went. It was about seven months after he'd been up there. I told him, man, don't go, don't go there. Don't go there. You don't have to go there. The kind of education you're looking for, you can get in a Christian school where you're around people that are friendly to the Bible, professors that are born again. You don't have to go there. So I said, no, preacher, I get a free ride, da, 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 That was all about the money. When you're starting to make decisions about money, something's real wrong when it comes to major things. And so he went. People listen to me. He went. It's almost like if I said the opposite, he'd do the opposite, but he went. He called me a few months, oh, four, five, six months, maybe seven, eight months even. He called me and said, preacher, I, I know, I just, I, I just, man, there's some smart people up here. I said, there are. The devil's smart. He said, oh, but I mean really smart people up here. Now, I've been listening to these classes I've been going to in biology and all these other classes. He says, I, I just got to believe that maybe we did evolve. He was losing his faith. I said, quit school. I don't care about the money. Lose everything, credits and everything, and get out of there. Because what you're fixing to lose is going to be worth a whole lot more than what you think you're losing. You say, I'm, I'm unmovable. Really? Are you? Only by the grace of God. And when you go in direct disobedience from God to flee, flee from the appearance of evil, and don't set your eyes upon evil and so many other commandments of God that tell us to beware of that stuff, and you disobey that, I believe you make yourself vulnerable. And if you don't flee, you're going to fall. You know, we're supposed to flee from evil. If you don't flee from it, you're going to fall with it. Be careful. Well, anyway, i got to keep going. Okay, i keep looking back over here. Okay. What does it say? He made them, made them, at the beginning, made them male and female. 
Now he's quoting, I believe, Genesis 127 there. All the way back. And, and, he, and he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they should, twain shall be one flesh. That's the direct quote of, out of, out of uh, Genesis. And there's a lot more that could be said about this place, but he verifies the Genesis record of creation, Adam and Eve. There was a, and the liberals don't even believe there really was an Adam. They don't even believe there ever was a Noah. They don't believe there was a Jonah. Trust me, they don't. They don't have. They, they almost giggle when you bring that stuff up. Wherefore, there are no more twain but one flesh. Wherefore, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So he quotes this. So then the second example is Noah and the ark. For the days of Noah that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah, or that's just, a, that's by the way, that's the Greek for the Hebrew, Noah, entered into the ark, Matthew 24, 38. And knew not until the flood came and took them all the way, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, Jesus believed in the flood. Now this is just one quote of it. For time's sake, I just take the most minimal amount of evidence because I believe most of you accept this and understand this to be true. But I'm just giving you the principles of it. The, he refers back to the flood as a fact, not one little minor caveat of like, well, maybe this this wasn't the way it was said. But exactly the way it was said, he, he believed it. Now, as God manifests in the flesh, that would make sense to me. He wrote it. So, the, the third thing is literal accuracy of the burning bush. And Moses, I've been around some liberals, and man, they, they just like, you've got to be kidding me. 3,500-year-old document, you're going to believe what it says? I believe it. Literal accuracy of the burning bush. This is Exodus chapter uh, 3, verse 14, and so on. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, and this is when he quotes uh, Exodus chapter 3 there, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead but of the living. This is what This is what God said to Moses. So by quoting that, he reaffirms there actually was a Moses, and these are the exact words that he spoke to Moses, and the scripture's accurate. Amazing. Amazing. Moses was like 1446 BC. So that'd have been almost 1500 years before Jesus' time. Moreover, he said, I am the God of the Father. Uh, oh, I just wanted to show you Exodus here. So there you have in, in Matthew 22 32. What Jesus said, and you have in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, what's recorded in the Bible. I'm the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face and was afraid to look upon God. So he quoted that, and of course giving it some, I would say some confidence. I would have confidence in what he said. Another thing he reaffirms is the, the fact of manna. Over 2 million Israelites were fed by God for 40 years with manna. They were given manna. And so he said, Jesus said in John 6, 49, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. He confirms it to be true. No doubt about it. The testimony of the scriptures is true. He confirms Jonah in the belly of the whale. 
For Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's why, personally, I believe that Jesus was crucified on Wednesday. No good Friday. If it's three full days, of course, I know they try to say the part of a day is the whole day to the Jewish economy, and you can have some argument on that. But I don't know how you ever work it out on Friday. I don't see how, you know, Thursday maybe you could cheat death with saying a part of a day is a whole day and all that other stuff. I'm just going, I don't think Jonah spent three part of a days. I think he spent three whole days and three nights. And I think that's what Jesus did also. To, so to figure all that out, you talk about argumentation. People want to argue when Jesus was crucified. I think it's that Wednesday. Take it or leave it. The repentance of Nineveh, uh, the historicity of that. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, the greater than Jonas is here. Matthew 12, 41. So again, Jesus, these, these are some of the most controversial parts of the Old Testament that the liberals just jump on and say there's just no way these things really happen. I told this story over and over again. I did a talk show. I was in my 20s with a, with a Jewish rabbi. They didn't give you a script, didn't tell you what you were going to be questioned on. Just show up. Live radio, eight-second delay. And so you didn't know what was going on, but he just would question. And all he did was question me about the major miracles of the Bible. You really believe, you really believe that whales swallowed Jonah? I said, yes. You really believe that Noah and there was a flood and an ark and all the animals came in? And I said, yes, I do. He didn't believe anything. I said, here you are. So then I turned it back at him. I said, here you are, a physical child of Abraham. And here I am, a Gentile heathen. I believe every word of the Old, the Old Testament that you say is your Bible. And you don't believe hardly any of it. It was apostatized. So the conclusion of the matter is, nothing could be clearer. Jesus believed in the literal accuracy of the entire Old Testament. You have to, and this is just, again, just the tip of the iceberg. As to its theology, as to its science, and as to its history, and its accuracy of history, he verified it as so. By the way, he wasn't the only one that verified it. The other, the other writers of Scripture, Paul especially, goes back and verifies that he believed every word. And I didn't use him as an example at all because that's what we're talking about tonight. But you can go back in over and over again. And if you want to read it in Archer here, you can, you can get this book and read it, and he'll have it for you there in detail. Without, he doesn't not a stone unturned. But any compromise along these lines logically destroys the foundation of the claims of the Bible and our faith in it and Jesus Christ's words. Okay? You can have confidence tonight. Uh, the Bible has weathered many, many attacks in every direction. Now, here we are in 2022. Okay? The Bible, the Pentateuch was written probably 1446, 1440. Somewhere around that, 1406, between 1406 and 1446, the Pentateuch was, was written. First five books of the Bible. Okay, so then the last book, uh, they say Malachi, or the Italians would say Malachi, but Malachi, and um, there's a 400 year period of silence that no prophet spoke for about 400 years there. And then the next time, 
God showed up on, on earth was uh, Mary. The Savior is coming. In the fullness of the time, when the Bible said the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth the Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the remission of sins. Oh, I like that. So the Bible, you can imagine the Bible's been attacked. The devil himself has thrown everything he can throw at this book. If the Bible were not true legitimately, if its, if its historic, historicity were not true legitimately, if its science was not true legitimately, come on. It would have been proven so. We're in 2022. We're 3,500 years almost on the other side of this thing. And yet, it's more the most printed book in the world is the Bible. Most printed book in the world. King James Bible still is the most printed book, the most distributed book in, of any English other, any other English book in the world. The numbers are astounding. How many Bibles? How many Bibles there have been? So, you can trust it. It's been attacked from every direction. Nothing new. Nothing new is being brought up for centuries. Reader, listen to the inspired Word of God. It is a gift from God to us. See, I can't even write a perfect document. But God can. God can. You can trust the book. I hope you get this book. It's called the Encyclopedia, which tells you the thoroughness of it. The Encyclopedia of Biblical Difficulties. And if I may say it this way, seeming difficulties that have an explanation. Every difficulty that you come every seeming difficulty you come up in the Bible has an adequate, honest explanation of why it's there and what happened. You can trust that. If it hadn't, it'd be torn up. The liberals would tear it up. The Islamic to tear it up. See, they tried, the Islamics tried to attack the Bible by uh, scribal error. In other words, they say, they believe, they, the Islamics tried to define inerrancy as no scribal error. Am I doing that? Or, oh, see that? If you can't defend the Bible, you can't defend the Bible if you're going to say it has no, no scribal Spelling error, punctuation error. They're in copies, obviously in copies of the Bible. But we have so many copies that we know what's right because we can compare, and compare copy with copy and find out exactly where the problem is. When a few copies have changed a little bit, you pick it up, know it, okay, that's not the way the majority went. And so this is what the real reading of it. And there, by the way, there's no scribal error that changes any, even begins to change any doctrine of the Bible. Don't you let anybody try to tell you there is. There, there, there are none. Just minor, small things, numbers, some numbers, some spellings, and some small punctuation problems. That's it. That's it. Then when you look at all of them, 13,000 different manuscripts, both in Latin and Greek, you got the book. You got the book the way it was. We have the Word of God. Now then add on all of that, God promised to preserve His Word. 
or you wouldn't have all that. He's preserving us, taking care of us. Father, thank you tonight for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the reliability of the Word of God. Help us. I've, I've placed my eternal future on his credibility for all these years. Father, thank you. Thank you for letting me know the Word of God and something about the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.